0: Hey, here's a special episode of The Really Really, featuring music by Finn Riggins, courtesy of Eric Gilbert. Well, let's get rolling. We got a great episode lined up today, but just getting started off, let's talk about the big world event thing that happened within the last week. The Taliban took over Kabul, Afghanistan, that civil war, as brief as it was, appears to be over. And I am just so fucking heartbroken for those poor people. Like, what have we done? (laughs) And it's not just, you know, it's not just what happened in the last few years it's not it's not just one administration it's not even just since 911 you know the the history of afghanistan being just this target for the world has gone back for for centuries and those poor people yeah <laughs> i you know i appreciate i appreciated that biden came out and like laid out his reasoning and i, I think I think I support the decision overall. I I realized that it, there was a no-win situation in it. Yeah. But gosh, it it's, it's just so painful. And it it what something that I really hated about how Biden talked about it when he addressed it was that he did I didn't feel like he needed to throw in scapegoating. Like he didn't need to say like, "Oh, they didn't fight," you know? Yeah. They, you know, we trained these people, and and they didn't even fight for it because I heard the stories as they were trying to hold the country, and those people were fighting. Yeah, they were fighting for their lives, and you know, it's so what they call it—the graveyard of empires. Um, you know, I've got a
1: plenty of special forces, ex-special forces friends, and I feel for you know the loss of life that they incurred and and everything they went through. It's been, it's been a debacle from the beginning. I think sometimes. We try to be the, the nation builders and in democracy. And I think the same thing you could argue happened in Iraq where you know, we just, we don't understand the culture. It's it's pretty egotistical for us to go into these places and assume, you know, Team team America, World Police, we can take over and make this thing into the into our liking. I think that it was a 20-year disaster that, I mean, people, men and women fought very nobly and, and did it for the people on their left and right. But it is heartbreaking to see... That is now in a state of disrepair. I believe $88 billion in in taxpayer money along with countless losses of life. I just, you know, sometimes we talk a lot about the startups and we talk about our ecosystem here. And, and oftentimes, I think we, it's easy to forget the world that we're actually living in. Boise to me is some something of a bubble. And so just, just being able to kind of talk a little bit about this was the vein that we started on this was we wanted to talk about all topics from a sort of a bipartisan way. And we haven't done a ton of it, but I do think that uh, this is, it's hard to see exactly who's at fault here. And to start to, but to your point about Biden, I don't think this is a time to blame anybody but, our, but ourselves.
0: Yeah, it, it was, this is a multi-generational issue. And it's, I mean, you know, maybe there's an element of that where, you know, 2001, America was attacked by a foreign entity. It wasn't the government of Afghanistan necessarily, right? right? But they were the landlords of Al-Qaeda. They, <laughs> I mean, I think that's a good way to think yeah, about it. Uh, they they definitely, it definitely was a place where where Al-Qaeda could flourish at the time. And, you know, we changed that for a while, maybe. But, you know, that Americans wanted answers. Like the presidential approval rating went up above 70%. And like, we wanted an enemy. We wanted to attack somebody. Yeah. Like we, we just like, enveloped this this rage that where there needed to be a reckoning immediately and it needed to be hard and it needed to be you know definitive and it resulted in you know that that rage resulted in so many more countless deaths which you know i i can't even begin to try to prescribe a different strategy because that's not my area of expertise but just like a moment of uh, of like Empathy and reflection is what I hope this becomes for the country. Yeah, I, I
1: do. I agree. And you know, again, we don't usually start
0: with stuff like this, but I think it does. It is
1: warranted um, to, to pause for a second and just think about life in Afghanistan through everyone else's eyes. And I just I hope that something good will come of this. But yeah, hearts are breaking for the people that are over there. Yeah. Absolutely. On that note, <laughs> uh, go ahead and introduce our our guest. We I'm pretty, I'm more excited about this one maybe than any.
0: Yeah, because yeah. I wanted
1: to be a music producer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm I'm an ally of music. I, <laughs> I unfortunately I was born without the ability to tell one note from another. <laughs> but uh, but really happy to have you on, Eric Gilbert. Eric, you're you're a co-founder of Treefort. Uh, you're a musician yourself. You've helped a lot of of local and regional musicians find their way. And we're really excited to talk to you about the business of music and and how that compares to a lot of the other concepts that we've run into
2: awesome well thanks for having me i first want to say i really appreciate the nuanced perspective of what you guys were just talking about as can i if i share one thing really yeah, quick yeah, please. Um, there's a young woman that has been living in boise for a while now part of the music scene part of the art scene and from afghanistan she's currently over there you know and posting on instagram and i think one of the i'm hoping similarly one of the that maybe some positives that come out of this new transition is just seeing the humanity and just like that life over there is relatively similar to here. Like those people are relatively similar to, 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 to us. And, and I just think like one of the, the space that I think the art and music holds is a lot of that like nuanced human space. And, you know, a lot of people say it's like the universal language. Right. And so it's just interesting to see those connections. And I hope hopefully we can, yeah, make some progress out of this yeah. really heartbreak breaking si- si- situation. It's been interesting to see it through this person's eyes from here, right now, while she's just like capturing footage of relatively no- normal life over there, but also the beauty of what you know she's afraid is gonna they're they're gonna lose and the frust- the just the frustration of the whole thing. So anyhow, right. Anyhow, on that note, uh, yeah, there is, um, you know, not to conflate the two at all, but the artist struggle is real. And I'll just tell my brief story. It's yeah. like, you know, I was a young engineering student at the University of Idaho and, you know, I was good at math and science and was had an internship at, my, at Micron and saw a path there for myself, you know, but also just wasn't overly inspired by the path that was laid out from, for me um, in that point in time and was just curious about what else and I think was just kind of ser- searching for more purpose, right? And yeah. so, was a music fan but to be sort of like oh, over a brief period, you know, brief few years, you know, ended up uh, getting a music degree and a creative writing degree with no interest in, in translating that into a direct job. I just want to learn the skills and get a degree. And through that also worked on the sound company, the the student sound company. And sort of just learned, learned a lot of the skills, started booking e- e events. And yeah, I became part of the, like the on-campus concert stuff was setting up events off-site so sort of just started trying to learn the field of music from a very holistic standpoint playing but also all the stuff off stage too um and then out of that like actually at the age of like 27 my wife and i decided to to we were playing in bands but with a good friend of ours decided to fully just commit to it and quit our jobs she was teaching at the university at the time and up in moscow and we uh, moved to haley and just started you know started writing and re recording with a new project and just started touring the region quickly uh made friends with a label out of Portland that was a relatively young label and they signed us and they were, and then you know um our band was called Finn Finn Riggins and sort of just started creating our own path you know we really didn't i mean we knew enough what we were doing and we were committed to it and so i think just being driven by that we started touring the whole country i was doing all the booking all the, we were managing our, wow. our ourselves and there for a couple of years like 2007 2000 um through 2010 or 11 we were you know on the road 200 plus days out of, out of the year essentially living in a 15 passenger van wow. um Oof. staying with people played in over 43 that about i think we played in 43 states um And part of that was sort of this research of just like seeing all these different music markets, all these different towns. And so through that experience, played a lot of festivals too, like small, like festivals. And we really like these sort of multi-venue festivals. Like there was one in New York City we played in 2008 called uh, CMJ, which had been going on for a long time. Um, We played South by Southwest in 2010 and in Austin. And we were the only Idaho band there at the time. And so that sort of got us like, man, we need to get more Idaho. Yeah, I- Idaho music here, or, you know, and so being from Idaho and Boise, we 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 moved down to Boise in 2009, which is where I I grew up. But it came up a lot, like nobody knew anything about the Boise music scene, and it they didn't think one even existed, or if there were roads or electricity, they weren't sure about any of that. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyways, through all that, and then playing a bunch of there was a one in Portland called Music Fest Northwest Underground Music Showcase, and then so as we started like coming off the road a little bit and like settling more into Boise. I wasn't sure Boise was the, you know, I grew up in West Boise. I wasn't sure Boise was going to be the, after seeing all these other cities and yeah. I wasn't sure it was going to be the right ecosystem, right? For what I wanted to to see both as a as an artist and just as a human living in a city. I wasn't sure of that yet because, you know, and we were still living on the road a lot. But in 2011, so sort of like, okay, let's really take on Boise. You know, we're going to tour less. I'm going to see, we'll start seeing if it's going to be a place we want to settle in more because I love living in Idaho. I love growing up here. I didn't want to have to move to LA or Portland or somewhere else just to do what I loved. So through that, got more involved in the scene, and then in the summer of 2011, met uh, Lori Chandra and Drew Lerona, who were you know, outside of music, at, but they were music fans, um, had some capital set aside uh, due to uh, uh, a loss in the family. Essentially, they wanted to do some something meaningful with, in particular, they were looking to open a music venue at the time, but didn't know anything about music. So through asking around, they found me, and we're like, hey, will you help us put on some shows? And, and I was like, yeah, I'm, that's what I do. That sounds fun. So we, we met. But then when we met like a week later. I had been, you know, with some other friends, been toying with the idea of a multi-venue festival like we had been in other places would be, you know, being in a band, we love that style of festival because all of our, our other touring friends were there. So it was sort of like a conference amongst bands, essentially. And so we loved that style. But we were always going to everyone else's party we're like it'd be fun to host our own in where we're from and so i sort of counter to them like well instead of just doing one show what about a a three-day like 100 band festival i think i said 60 bands which by the f- and so anyways they said they're like yeah let's let's do that that sounds fun let's let's try that so that was kind of the spark that wow so drew Lori, and i and then we quickly brought in megan stall who's our marketing director and that's kind of the foundation of the the founders of treefort so just just to put a quick cap on that, so so that was basically they essentially like brought me on to lead that project. That uh, officially October first of two thousand eleven. The first festival was March of two thousand and twelve, um, and so it was a six month turnaround that we launched the whole thing and you know came up with the name Tree for it. And so that's kind of the beginning of that story. And now we're we're about to put on our ninth festival, which got delayed from March twenty twenty all the way to th- this September. So and I can go into more details about where it is now but that's kind of the start.
1: What an effort, man. Yeah. I mean, we as the as we talked about we um Dominate we're noticing parallels to building companies in a startup ecosystem and 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 more specifically for me just thinking about the journey of a band and going from garage to you know they go into the local the local bar and then that just that capital influx it, it really is such a similar path mm-hmm. and I think that when you back when when you were spinning this up, did you know, did you have any indication that uh, it would be this thing, the tree fort would be this thing that it is today?
2: No, I think it's grown much beyond, I think what we envisioned. I think it was definitely, I think our vision was really just one step at a time. And so I do think, that I did recognize there was a definite gap and opportunity and that's a lot of like business startup is if you can identify a serious gap and I think that was just naturally visible to me coming out of the music world and I think the other gap that was really obvious to me is that, you know, I, after touring the the country, that, you know, if you tour past, like if you get out to the the eastern half of the country everything is super close but when bands tour out here there's these long drives and they need towns like boise to be better stops and Mm -hmm. at at that point in time in 2010 11 it really wasn't that great a stop and it's still getting there but so part of the i i recognize that as like and it was the we set it up purposely to be the week after south by southwest knowing there's a bunch of traffic from the west that goes to to austin and has to get back so it was also it was really born out of like this is going to help the artist's community and also make it easier for us to put on a festival yeah but, uh, makes know, the so, trips more worth it for yeah. them
1: and logistically is a nice yeah. choke point so since i had that
2: sort of market awareness you know yeah. it, it was it seemed like an uh obvious solution that i was pretty confident could work but
0: yeah. yeah. So, uh, my, my big question about Tree mm-hmm. Ford is how did you guys make it so awesome <laughs> from the beginning? And, uh, you know, the nuance in that comes from like my personal experience. Like, you're starting a new company, you've got operations to worry about, you've got costs to worry about. In your case, you're booking a bunch of bands to come and, and show up at, at an event that, you know, none of them have ever been to because it didn't exist before. You know, you've got ticketing to worry about, you've got venues to worry about, you've got to negotiate deals with the city to let people get up to no good and <laughs> like mm-hmm. have a great time on several city blocks and you guys just hit the ground running with tremendous kick-ass culture from the beginning and I mean that must have that must have taken deliberate effort and I thought it was really impressive but how, how did you do it like what what went into that yeah I think I think
2: the sort of secret sauce to that to me and then there's a few other things but let you know, it was truly sort of the artist community building what it wanted to see out of a festival. You know, and so so in that was just like a lot of intention behind how artists were treated, how it would look and feel. So it didn't look like it, there was a bunch of corporate sponsors on the stages and stuff, which had been started to become a real sensitive point for artists. So that helped kind of the design element. And then I, I will say, and I've, you know, I've talked to other festivals and other bigger markets that I sort of empathize with a little bit, because Then part of, I think, our secret sauce is that Boise was just ripe for it. I think it was a good timing. And it was that there hadn't been anything to this scale of this level of intention, I guess, as far as like raising the bar. I think we were really like intentionally raising the bar and we and intentionally raising the bar from a production standpoint. Like we wanted to hire the best stage and sound and lights, you know, and like and just seeing that as all as a value add that would benefit us in the long term. And also that's because what the artist would like. I will say it was. It helped that there was capital to work with, right? Like, of course. like the music community could could be idealistic all day long, but we don't often have capital to work with. So I think that sort of marriage of that is kind of also obviously what made it possible, right? And we and having so lori Chandra was the one that had the capital set aside because her husband had passed away in a in a plane crash in the Sawtooths, and she wanted to do something intentional with it. So also the fact that she was like when we were starting to talk about well sponsorships is a good revenue source but we don't wanna compromise our brand. And the fact that it's easy for me to say that, right? Cause it wasn't my money to lose. But in her case, she was like, yeah, let's don't take that. Like, I would rather us lose some money and do this the way we wanna do it on, on our terms. So I think that in having that sort of par- partnership where we were all sort of aligned around a vision of doing it a certain way, you know, so.
1: Eric, I and, think what, what you mentioned there is a couple things we talked about before. One, culture is incredibly an intentional effort, right? All the the finer points of what you just discussed down to how the bands are treated, you know, corporate sponsors or not, like all that stuff when when controlled and intentional, like you're building a culture. And you also mentioned timing and you can't fucking fake timing. It's very hard. You can't invent it. You can't create it, but you have to be have a willingness to observe that it's happening and then to your point, have the resources to build something up in that space. So I'm, again, just so fascinated between the parallels of what I do and what you do. And I'm hoping that we I can, can learn something from you and maybe vice versa.
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with the parallels. And I think probably similar to other markets, like also being responsive to the market, right? Yep. Like, like, and that's kind of as Chieford has evolved, you know, we've been very collaborative in nature. And one of the things I think has benefited us is that we didn't have a real clear like plan that we just held our ground regardless. Like we, we've we let it evolve the way that it naturally wanted to evolve, both with our audience and, you know, so potentially with our customer base, but also with our Like, you know, that's what's interesting about a festival like ours is like, we're a really small team, like, you know, at this point, about 10 year round people, but it scales into, you know, 400 bands that are essentially like, independent contractors of the festival, all these pr- production vendors, all these venues, all these volunteers, like 700 plus volunteers. So it's this interesting thing, where, but they're all kind of on our team at that point, right? So to scale into this, we're rel- pretty like really large team. So being open to input from all those different places yeah. and letting it e- evolve, so.
0: Was there anything that just went wildly wrong in the early years of Treefort, And it's perfect, I mean, Tom. <laughs> yeah, it all worked perfect. yeah. It all worked perfect. I mean I mean any event, even even just a small networking event. A wedding is or, you a know, wedding, oh, yeah. God. Like one day, a two-hour event can be can be horrifying and you know it's easy for things to go wrong, but like TreeFord is all over the place, literally. So like what do you have any more stories from that?
2: Yeah. And I'll say one of the I would say and this is this is something I kind of hammer on a lot with locally and stuff, is that Kids or anybody playing in bands or just doing, you know, something like playing in bands, it doesn't mean everyone's going to be a musician the rest of their life, but they're going to learn a lot of life skills. And and you know, it's just the collaborative, the collaborative nature. But also, I, I even say this is now I'm a parent. Like the the touring in a band prepared me very well to be a, to to be a parent. And I just mean that by being able to roll with the punches. Like you just always there's so many you can only control so much of what you can control, and then there's always something that happens and it's more like how you react to that right so to answer your question i think one of the things that is a strength of tree treeford is we've just been able to respond like in our second year one of our headliners canceled like a, like a week before and instead of going into panic mode or anything we were sort of like oh let's just throw this guy up and like this festival's bigger than one head yeah. head, head headliner and i think being able to stay with running so many moving pieces being able to stay calm in the middle of that storm is uh, is a Jedi mind trick that is like key. And that's going for running any business. Totally. Like, I think so many people quickly react to negative
1: things as opposed to just like- You got to throw expectations yeah. out completely, yeah. right? If you have ex- yeah. expectations, and I think in life, you live a, a much more stress-free life when you're not focused on expectations. Everything is what it is, yep. um, It's yep. and being I'm a new parent, uh, my son's <laughs> five months old. So if I didn't know before expectations are fucking gone, you know, on a day-to-day basis, when you think about Treefort, the brand of Treefort, how do you, how would you describe that? Not the bands, but just what is Treefort to you?
2: Hmm. Well, that's a good question. Should be, so we, one of our taglines is Treefort is for everyone. And we kind of mean that in, in that they're, you know, we're really trying to be open-minded about the collaborative approach and being inclusive. So Treefort for me is this sort of community project in a lot of ways, but it is, it's tr- trying to, amplify and create space for a broad, for a lot more voices. I, I, you you know, so it is kind of building a temporary fort, temporary home. More Burning Man than Coachella. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. In in a city that, you know, I think is aspirational in nature, like it's a city that's still trying to fully discover who it is. And so for us, it was a lot of like Let's show what we think is possible, right? And so that, I think, without any sort of catchy tagline, that was kind of the intention behind both the naming and our approach, which was also, you know, we try to say we're trying to amplify Boise as it is, as well as show what it could be. So I think to speak to this a little bit, also how we approach the programming, and this is how, as there's other forts too, as opposed to being like the Treefort Central team just being, okay, we're going to start another fort for another scene that you know, like the technology scene or the literary scene, those people have come to us and been like, "Hey, what if we did the same thing you're doing for music, which is essentially building a national stage once a year for the local talent by bringing in a national and regional talent? Can we do that for the story scene? So we have a story for it, stuff like that." But I think once again, letting that be born out of the niche that it's a part of, as opposed to us imposing our our vantage yeah. point
1: on it, does that make sense? It does. does we, I yeah. talk a lot about the ability to magnetize a company and, uh, and it's there's no clear metric for when that happens. but at some point, if you hit timing and you have a relatively you know product that fits into that, you start to attract people to it that before you were pushing the ball uphill, the rock uphill, now it's rolling downhill and you seem like you're on the on the downhill, slide of it. I mean, you were the first person we thought of in terms of the music scene to sort of go through this. So, mm. and that's not easy. Mm. Um, again, meticulous control on mm-hmm. a lot of things while throwing out expectations.
2: I think, and to speak to that, and I think from one of your earlier questions, Dom, is like, we were very intentional when we rolled things out too, that we wanted it to be a pull marketing campaign as opposed to a push one. So we wanted to create something that we yep. knew people would like once they knew about it, as opposed to trying to, yeah. So that was our It's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's been it's been impactful. It's interesting how something like that can just ripple into so many other areas. You know, I mean a few years ago, I was at Capital Connect, which is a, a local event that the Idaho Technology Council puts on and tries to bring venture capitalists together and sell bankers in suits and, and you know, the occasional like startup founder or founder turned investor. And, you know, I remember, you know, Mark Solon, who at the time was a managing partner with Techstars, went on stage and said like the single greatest thing that happened to Boise's business community is Treefort, Fort, hmm. Right. Said the press that come that came out of Tree Fort, the you know the the coolness, the awesomeness of it, to paraphrase, created a magnetism for the whole city of Boise, not just for the event itself. And it's you know it's also it's palpable, like during that week, like you can feel it, you can you can feel the energy, which is awesome. I mean, there's you know I I try to be scrappy as much as I can, but. Um, but you know, there is something so amazing about creating something awesome from the beginning, and there's there's such an art to that that there you is know, that I want to learn so much more about.
1: Let's flip the conversation a little yeah. bit. Let's talk about. So you mentioned that at one point you didn't feel like you need, wanted to go out and live in Portland, Seattle, L.A. That there was this like zest to put together a scene here. We talk about that a lot mm-hmm. because I think. Dom, you know, we've talked, Dom's brought it up. Well, is it going to be easier to go live in San Francisco? And and I'd like to talk a little bit about that because I think, again, that's a, a really interesting parallel here. Very
0: relevant to music. As yeah, 100%. As I, yeah.
2: yeah, And to like the entrepreneurial spirit in general, right? It's like, I think Boise has that right now and probably hopefully we'll have it for a while where it's like, okay, the job I want isn't here. Maybe I can create that job, yep. right? And so I, and I think growing up in Idaho and just, yeah, I just like living in this environment. Plus, I, I was just also just annoyed with the notion that I can't do what I want to do from where I want to live, yep. you know? And know so, that. yeah, and so that's kind of similar. You know, I think that brings a lot of struggle though too, right? <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, so, yeah. yeah. It's not as easy. It's it's uh, logically simple, emotionally complex. Yes, <laughs> as they exactly. Say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, getting into that, we might, we might be able to circle back on the Boise thing if we mm-hmm. start. I'm, I'm interested in talking about... Just the experience of an early musician and mm. like the pathway that they go through i know i mean i know their diet is probably pretty similar to an early stage startup founder crunching down on some ramen but you know i don't think everybody gets exposure to like how long that journey is and and where the hardships are can you paint a picture for us
2: yeah i can paint a picture of like so you know there's there's a couple of different phases that a musician can go through. One is which like you're you're just learning and you're keeping your job or you're in school or something like that. But then you know those that hit the point were like and you know, it's very similar with starting your own your own your own business. You're like okay, I think I got enough of this together. I think this is possible, but if I don't like really go all in, this is probably gonna just, you know, it's okay. I'm, I'm very into, by I just wanna say as a disclaimer that I'm very into people just being mu- musicians and having jobs. I think that's a very healthy relationship. But if you decide to try to make your music your, your full-time job, essentially, and it's, it's like starting a business. Yeah. So amongst two partners, in my case, a drummer, and my wife, who's a really amazing vocalist and guitar player, we're like, okay, let's start this thing. And we're going to live as meagerly as possible. We're going to eat some ramen. And we, you know, lived very low overhead and just committed. We practiced every single day. We just started, you know, and then I was also, we're going all in on the business side of it, like market research, essentially, you know, making contacts, doing everything we could to figure out how to, like, do that side of things. And then this is one thing I want to just, and and then if you can build your product, you know, well enough, you know, people start liking it. And then you're essentially like looking for to build the team and or you know outside capital, which I think if musicians understood like record label experience, like like relationship more from like an outside capital approach, because it's historically like musicians don't want to think like a business. Like that's part of the reason why we get it in the first place. We're like, we don't want to deal with any of this. We just wanna do what we love, right? Yeah. But if people need to balance that, like you can do what you love, but you gotta think of it pragmatically as a business if you wanna su- sustain it. The problem is that the historical like relationship with labels. That's not communicated quite like that. It's a little bit it's hard to explain, but if it was like, okay, we're going to invest $10,000 in you putting out a record and this is going to be our return on that in, in in investment and and you negotiated that in a little bit more of investment terms as opposed to and I will own your product for the the rest of your life because yeah. that's the historic record label deal, right? So, but actually the music industry is moving a little bit more in that. Pearl Jam was yeah. the
1: one of the bands that didn't that yeah. did, built their own thing, yep. right? And that worked out really well for them to just yeah. sort of disrupting the the flow of everything back to dom's question do yeah, you think sorry. that no no it's a great tangent. Yeah. Um, do you think so again we're trying to draw analogies back to entrepreneurship musicians yep. are entrepreneurs every bit as as much as dom or i where is that in your opinion where's that inflection point happen so you start in your garage now you're playing small clubs there's always an inflection point that most companies and i would imagine musicians hit that you kind of either need to get noticed right there or it goes down.
2: Yeah. So I think what happens, and I see this, it's it's actually probably a little later than you think. Because oh. there's some people that will just jump in because you have enough like in your bank account and credit cards and you can kind of just do it. So there's a lot of people are like, we were a good example of that. We just kind of jumped in. And that's kind of jumping into the startup boat a little bit. And it, it and it's usually, I, th- I think it's actually b- bands that are doing better than than you then you would imagine that are struggling still right oh. like they're they're getting pretty good crowds but they're it's at that point they, they need to scale so they might be getting like 200 people out at every place you know but it's still not but at that point they need to figure out how to like scale their business right and a lot of times it's like how do we bring on more help how do we I think one of the big things, the inflection point they hit is 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 it's it's all cash flow, right? If they're not playing shows, they're not making any money. Yep. So then there's no time to practice. There's no time to work on the next record. And they're just stuck in that sort of, which we can all relate in normal biz, b- business yeah. too. You're just working on the day-to-day business, no time yeah. to work on the bigger picture, right? Yeah. So I think that's what happens to a lot of kind of mid-level bands. And at that point, it, it, it's just, and then everyone's the rest of their lives catch up to them before they're able to scale it in a way that can work. Like, this, Oh, that's a good point. I
1: think I like, I like what you yep. said that or the rest of your lives catch up. Yeah, I think that's a really good, good way to look at entrepreneurship too. Yeah. You're trying to, you're trying to beat the inevitable, like crushing down of this giant wave that's family responsibilities, mm-hmm. all the finances, and you just hope to surf that wave and get out of it before it crushes you. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, during that process, you talked about market research and you also mentioned like there's kind of there's kind of a, a stigma to putting your business hat on when you're a musician. Surely there would be I mean, if I was if I was building a new product, right? Which I happen to do all the time, we tend to we tend to talk to people we tend to like ask questions about like how they experience certain problems and then we break those down into like what could be some solutions to those and then we like test those out we put them in front of people and say like hey would this solve that problem that you articulated to us and then you know a lot of it is sort of like testing and adapting to what people's needs are as 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 that product grows but with music it's a little bit different or at least it seems like it seems like everybody wants it to be a little bit different. You know, nobody... Preservation of the soul. Yes. Yeah. Preservation of the soul that's that's in the music, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it it feels like... In and, and, and a startup, it can feel kind of like when you're going in front of investors, it, it can feel kind of like they already want you to be like, you know, the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like once you get up to that point before you get your shot. I'm sure it feels like that in music too, where like you feel like your music has to be perfect from the beginning and that you can't waffle in that is it mm. i don't know can that's an yeah. outside perspective
2: yeah it's related i think one way I, was, I that i like to think of that that predicament a little bit like in from and i use this and i kind of consult with artists too it's like like they got to start like the art has to be good right and 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 it has to be something that they're and i think this goes for business too you have to have your your heart has to be in it you have to like believe in your product right like truly believe in it there has to be some authenticity to it in many cases, I, w- I would think. But I think the the trap that artists can fall into in probably business too is like, you think you're trying to make music for everybody when really you just need to, like in the music world, like if you, like there's a great Frank Zappa quote that I like to use. It's like, um, you should what um, try to please 1% of the people 99% of the time as opposed to trying to please 99% of the people 1% of the time. That's a good one. Yeah. It's a great one. Yeah, because if you can, 1% of the global market, you can sustain yourself on that, right? But everyone tries to think of like trying to please everybody as opposed to just getting really pure about what you're trying to create and finding your customers as opposed to, you know.
1: Being everything to everybody yeah, at all times. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And so I think that's a good lesson in business and, you know, but I, artists get trapped in that. And, cause, and I do think as far as the losing the soul thing, those of us that are artists can see it when someone is more like market testing their music as opposed to just creating what, like a new cool, like pure thing. I also think there's space for that too. There's just it depends on what the artist wants. Some people are very committed to just I want to do this for my soul. I don't care if I make a dime, you know. And and that's perfect too, if that's what they want. And, but
1: uh, recent cultures, like we we want to discover new things. I think that the the days of and I could be totally wrong here, but to me, like the days of like the new headline band to me are a lot less interesting mm. than a couple of the up and coming small bands. And I'll give you an example of which one that you'll know. I was in a bar in Boston four or five years ago, walked in and heard Lake Street Dive Mm. and it was not a big place, but her voice like changed me that her voice is insane. So good. And when I saw that was on, they were on the, they were on the tour this year. I was so excited because Mm. that's another one that just, if you listen to the music, it's not, it's anything but perfect. There's nothing traditional about it. It's got a really interesting sort of jazz feel to it. And uh, that's a, really good example of, I think someone that just stayed in their lane and said, we're going to do this. And, you know, eventually people are going to, a few people are going to like it enough. And if that's the case, we'll keep going. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And yes, I agree. They're great. And I'm excited they're playing tree for it. And I was just going to say to you, I think what's interesting about the new music market, like the current one is those that kind of get it is like, you know, 50 years ago, it was sort of all or nothing. You were either like the Beatles yep. or, or, or the Stones, <laughs> Or nobody ever heard of you, right? And so the artists that understand, there's, you know, I think Built a Spill from Boise is a great example. They've found their lane. Mm. They've built a sustainable model. You know, they they can play to thousand people in certain places and smaller crowds in other places. But it's a sustainable model. It doesn't. They're not the biggest rock stars in the world, and not everyone should even want that. But yeah. But I think a lot of musicians get stuck in the trap of it's like, it's all or nothing. If I'm not the biggest star, then it's not worth it. But huh. really, if you want to just Make it your living and make the art you want. There is a lane there if, if you can find it, you know.
1: Absolutely, that goes for business too, right? Totally,
2: not, not everyone has to be Amazon, no, and no, not no, no everyone one ever can will, be, yeah, will yeah. they? No, yeah. So.
1: What do you I, we also talk? Dom, I'm just copying around, so Dom, feel free to jump in and stop me at any point. But I'm talking, we thought we talked about the mental health journey, mm. um, in entrepreneurship, and it there are some shining examples of people that have done it really well. And, and unfortunately, there's it's more appropriately said, there's littered with different people that didn't try. Is there any analogies you can kind of draw between just the mental health struggle? Because I think the one thing about musicians and entrepreneurs is they're both fucking crazy, right? (laughs) You start out (laughs) fundamentally knowing that they're crazy, contrarian, they see things differently, they're going to go about things differently. But that comes with, you know, going against the herd comes with a lot of cost.
2: Yeah. And I think, especially if you're searching for validation through the acceptance of your music or your product and yeah, mental health is a big struggle in the music community for sure. And, and I, yeah, the correlation is natural. And I think it is just because I don't know why, I mean, that we start out crazy for, for sure. And, and also I think just there's, there's this pure, this purity to our 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 idealism that we believe it's possible to build our own path. Right. And if that continually doesn't show up the way we want it to, it's hard to be okay with that, but that goes back to if you can roll with the punches, and I think this is probably with business too. But with a band, a lot of bands, if you can just last long enough, you'll get a you'll you'll get enough business to sustain yourself. You'll get better, but lasting long enough is the really trick, right? Yeah,
0: staying and, power. Yeah, I just, I just want to double tap on that point that you made about seeking validation through the outcome mm. of you know. Mm-hmm. Of, of who's buying your music or who's liking mm-hmm. your music can you can you speak more to that yeah i'll even say that that's one reason why i think
2: i'm still here and in the music world is even when we were touring i always use that mon- that mantra is like we're succeeding right now just because we're doing this like there is no outcome that we're waiting for right so even if we stopped touring we toured you know and like <laughs> you know right yeah. so that's kind of and even with Treefort from the get-go it was sort of like. We did it that year and it you know, there's not there's no, hasn't been some goal in the distance that is defining whether or not it's worth our time now. You know, it's a whole it's a classic like enjoy the journey, not the destination type of yeah, thing. So, yeah, totally. But you have to be able to embrace that. And then also if it the outcome shows up differently. Be okay with that. That's oh well. That here's the new outcome that we're excited about, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. So how how do you? Yeah. I'm interested <laughs> in how you. That's that's one that I identify mm-hmm. a lot with, mm-hmm. um, and I think I think a lot of people do both in entrepreneurship and making music, and in a mm-hmm. lot of ways in this world. Yeah. But how do you square that against being intentional and engineering the outcome that you want to see, while at the same time not making that your sort of pinnacle of, of success or, or your definition of success.
2: Yeah. I, I think it's kind of born in the, the purpose or the intention itself. Right. So even I've just put it back down to the Treefort team and kind of how we think of it, like the leadership team of us, a lot of times we think of it as like, our job is to maintain the ecosystem for the rest of this team to thrive and oh. to create what, what gets created. And so, you know, our success is if we're maintaining that ecosystem, that's the s- success point, but it's not tied to specific outcomes. Now, granted, There may be outcomes we maybe desire more than others, and that design is built around that. But I mean, this is even playing in a band. This is one of the things I love about playing in a band, and especially in a band where you're collaborating on the music itself, you're when you're collaborating like that, you're creating something you couldn't have created by yourself by yourself. You couldn't have even imagined, right? And so I think being open to that outcome being different than what if you're just like Totally trying to control the outcome, you're not leaving space for collaboration or it to be better than it could be. Does
1: that make, does that yeah, answer your total question? Makes yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've gotten through the journey of just being an entrepreneur and I was homeless for a spell. Like I've been, I've been through a lot. I always think a lot more of the downs than the ups. But one thing that I've always focused on, and, and I, I hope this is analogous to musicians, is I really learned to fall in love with the process. Mm. I learned to fall in love with the process day in and day out, not worry about where it stops. And honestly, I've, at times we're not worried about en- enough about where it stops, but the process of becoming and just the spiritual journey that you go through when you're doing something contrary and something very hard like that, that is something that I, um, would I encourage my son to do it? <laughs> eh, I don't know. It's a different <laughs> thing, but I think uh, it cha- it's changed me in a profound way. And, and, uh, and I Again, I'm just so curious about the musician's journey in the same way.
2: Yeah, I think so for me as a musician, it was always like, yeah, play to that one person that's that's there, you, you know, like having that one person, you know, so finding that joy and that satisfaction out of that. And to be honest with you, now that I've flipped on the other side of mostly producing, like I get similar satisfaction out of it, it encouraging and enabling others to do that work. So it's it's interesting how if you can kind of get to that purpose and that intention, yeah. it can translate to a different approach to the same So yeah.
0: So what what does it look like from the music producing side of things? And is that is that most of what you're working on these days? Is it is it producing new music? Is it is it promoting shows? Where 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 are you putting your time in these days? So mostly
2: what I do now is you know and you know I lead the the Treefort ecosystem and the business itself as well as do the talent buying and help with all the art- artist side of things. Then we also have Duck Club, which is basically was born af- after the first year of the festival. We wanted to keep active in the market, both to follow-up on our promise to talent and just to stay active year-round without wearing out the Treefort brand. So Duck Club was actually initially ideated as what was going to be the name of the venue that Drew and Lori were working on way back in the day. So we're like, Sweet
1: name, by the way. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing and, name.
2: Yeah, and so we, we started applying that. And so now with that, and then we also created a touring wing of that. So there for a while I was booking tours for bands. I do a lot of you know, I I don't really charge for it, but I like to consult with young talent and help, you know, we've, we've managed some, some bands. So a lot of like direct to to talent management, but then Duck Duck Club, we do promote shows in multiple venues around Boise, but through that, we've thrown like showcases at festivals, you know, outside of the country, but you know, in New York and stuff. So we'll take artists to places and, but for the most part, our activity here is in Boise. And then, yeah, so for me, it's still just like kind of leading the back end business side of that while also, Doing all the the kind of, kind of the curation piece that I love. So,
1: how much creative energy do you take into your into producing? Again, I I always wanted to be a producer. Figured out that I could do that in a capacity with entrepreneurship. Um, which, like, that's the vision I have. Whenever I work with anyone, is that same intimate collaborative process. And um, what do you draw the most energy from from that?
2: Well, and to your point, I was gonna say when we were a band, I always just said like, let we we need to approach the business as creatively as we're approaching totally. uh, approaching our our music, right? And so there's room with that. I get a lot of joy out. of I mean, I love empowering and encouraging people to get better. And I, you know, I love like finding new, new talent or increase new businesses and seeing potential in them and, you know, not like coaching them, telling them what to do, but helping give them the tools to do it better and to, to be willing to keep trying, right? That's kind of what gives oh, me the, yeah. the most joy. And that's what I think Treefort has done for an artist community here in Boise and even beyond is that it gives up and coming talent like it so post pan, pandemic, and granted, we're still dealing with aspects of it, but it was one of my biggest joys. Is like as festivals are starting to announce again, you know, there are like all these big festivals with these big talent and stuff, and they all have pretty much this, a lot of the similar lineups. But we were calling all this talent that had for a whole year been struggling with mental health. Y- yeah, no one had been like, Hey, get the band back together, get your business fired back up again. And, to, and so, for me, that joy of just like giving somebody the motivation to. And the you know the validation really that totally. like somebody cares about what I'm doing out in the world and Eric Gilbert just called me and said, "Come play Treefort again." You, you know, you kind of so. sound
1: famous
0: when you say Eric Gilbert. <laughs> like you kind of had that it like
1: just kind of rang off his tongue. I like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely <laughs> plugged in here. I I, I saw. For for some reason, Facebook recommended you on on uh, my list of people, and I saw that we had a b- bunch thanks, of mutual friends. And thanks,
2: then it, th- thanks, Mark, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Mark. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's got your back. He's got my back. He's like, I want a bunch of people to be friends with this Eric guy. <laughs> yeah. I I actually reached out and like called a couple of people and was like, Hey, have I already met Eric Gilbert? Because it would be super embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to I want to ask. So we. Um, so when it comes to like entrepreneurs and investors, there's sort of this symbiotic relationship that doesn't always have to happen, but but usually should happen in order to produce successful businesses or or amazing outcomes. And entrepreneurs and investors both have very different ways of looking at the challenges in front of them, even though they're meant to be in the same boat. It sounds like music producers, promoters, labels festivals all kind of play i don't want to i i almost want to say the kingmaker role in music even though surely there's there's more to it in that than there is in cpg and and you know coca-cola or whatever but can we kind of sort of flip the table and talk about like how are bands evaluated by the powers that be Hmm. for one that's a great analogy i do
2: think it, that historically especially in the music world like labels and and you know agents and managers were you know almost given too much power from the kingmaker standpoint right and so i will speak from how i evaluate or we evaluate bands you know and i think what what's really common is like if, if you're a promoter anywhere and you're running a venue you i mean the baseline is you want to the, hopefully that you want the band to sell tickets right and you and people to show up so that's a baseline and there's a lot of different ways a band can get to that point you know and they you know now it's a lot of they can analyze streaming numbers and look like stuff like that but it also can be like oh they've been playing house shows in this market for years and they have a bunch of a a deep cult cult following right so for us when we look at Bands to bring to Tree it. I'll just speak to that. Is like I'm looking for people that are active in their local scenes. You know, both. You know, I love when I see a band is like, oh, they're setting up shows for other people, and you know, for me that says a lot about how they're approaching it, and I th- and I know that's going to fit in with how we're approaching what we're doing. So, and I think that goes for venues, and it goes for, uh, you know, you want. Bands, so you're evaluating from the business side, but you're also evaluating eva- 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 evaluating from a cultural side, right? You don't want someone to play your venue that doesn't fit the overall vision of what you're trying to present and the audience that you have. Does that so does yeah. that answer the question sufficiently? I no. think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I do think like there's some people that are all 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 numbers when it comes to to analyzing bands. I'm a music fan. Like I want to want to listen to it, you know. And so so it's also there's also that whole side of it.
1: You brought it up. Now we have to talk a little bit about the pandemic, and mm. I was—I remember driving uh, through that intersection where you have Tree Ford and the number of days left. And I remember that the uh-huh. day that that got reset, and that was because uh, it was pretty close to—it was getting close to the actual show, right? Yeah. How did how did you guys handle that decision, and and what what led you? Obviously, there wasn't a lot of things you could do, but yeah. how did you guys get through that?
2: Um, one of the more challenging things for sure. Um, the, so we, we, we had to postpone two weeks before our festival was going to happen. So, I mean, we're so close to it happening and, you know, we are obviously tracking that I, you know, it was hard not to be frustrated with, lack of leadership and positions that should be responsible for <laughs> these things, yeah. you know, and, and that goes for all levels, but I understand the complexity of it, right. Uh, for everybody at the time. Sure. Um, so, but I was in communication with other people outside of the area and I was pretty, I was aware of, of where Washington and Oregon were heading and, and things like that. So we were enough ahead of it because when we announced our postponement, we actually, the Friday before that we announced we weren't canceling. You know, at the time, because that was just right now. We're not canceling, but yeah, right. But, but then, like, we we announced our postponement the Monday or the Wednesday, the eleventh of March, which um is the day that later that day the NBA sh- shut down. I remember yeah. that. President spoke, so yep. I was thankful that we because we decided on Monday. You know, so I was thank- thankful we were prepared and got that out before the world completely came crashing down sure. ar- ar- around it. And then a week later the city shut down and a week after that, what would have been the first day of the festival is when the state shut down. Oh wow! So I was thankful to not get, so one of the reasons we decided right then is we knew we had to give everyone enough time. You know, like the Airbnb deposit window was 10 days. Yeah, there's things like that, that we were trying to be sensitive to attendees, artists and everything. And we were, it was funny, cause I remember when we contacted a lot of the talent agents and stuff, we, we we were far enough ahead of what was happening that they were
1: like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" And then the next day, they're like, "Okay, never mind, end. we got it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how so, did the bands take it? Um, that I I don't know a lot of musicians, but I was just reading through copious Instagram posts and stuff. That had to be brutal no, for bands. I mean, yeah. just brutal. Not that it wasn't brutal on a lot of people, but
2: yeah, for us, especially because it was early. It was the first. It was the first like I know locally, and then with a lot of the bands, the first time they're like. You know, there was a couple of festivals that canceled, so I'm not saying we were, but we were definitely on the front wave. And we were, you know, and so we had a lot of local businesses and bands just being, please, please, please please don't cancel. Please don't cancel. And so at first they were like, oh, we're still going to do stuff. And I was like, cool. we're happy to support. But I think you're going to find out real soon that you're not going to be doing stuff. So I think. They were all very supportive, but it was, yeah, it was definitely, a. I mean, it's something that a lot of bands look for and a lot of the local businesses, it's a big week for them. Sure. So at first, I think there was frustration. Some were frustrated. Some of the local businesses were definitely like, what the hell, you know? Totally. Why are they doing this? And then a week later, they right? got the yeah. joke.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> got the joke soon. So, I think- but
2: I would say one last thing on our decision. Yeah. Once we made the decision, it became easy. Then it almost, I have to admit, it kind of became fun. Then it was execute, executing on a new plan. Yep. But it was like, that like couple days of just like what, you know, trying to research because no one's telling us what to do, you know, where from people where we were calling local authorities and everyone's like, uh, everyone was afraid to say too, too much totally. is, is how it felt. So, so then,
0: you know. so then you set the next date for about a year and a half in the future. Well,
2: we initially set it for September of 2020. So oh, right. as we were making that decision, I remember Megan and I were the ones that kind of, we were like, oh, okay, let's just look. what Well, we can maybe postpone to June, like three months. That seems reasonable. Like, no, let's postpone to September 2020. That'll give us plenty of time, right? Sure. By June of 2020, it was obvious that September 2020 was not going to work. And to be honest, not being a, relatively apolitical about this, but, you know, so we're in March. So March of 2021 would have been the next obvious target, but we were like, With everything going on with the election and everything and, you know, with a with with what seemed like a probable transition at the end in the end of January, I I just think everything is going to be confusing until at least January. So we're we're like, let's avoid March. Plus, we just think we need more time. So we postponed all the way September 2021 in June, which seemed like forever. Right. And now here we are again. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. Last year I said 2021 didn't feel like a real year. Right and now it's almost all gone. Yeah, So <laughs> it, it really is. Did you find that you were able to take advantage of having the extra time and like making extra plans or was it just like so tumultuous that it was all set back? Great question. That, you know, being a silver
2: linings guy, it was definitely like, you <laughs> know, first it was like translating what the heck was happening then it was like first first thing was like oh okay i have some extra time i'm i was doing stay at home school with so i leaned in the family side first started meditating a bunch exercising more and then by like you know then it was like okay w- now that now that our day to day business is shut down, how can we make our business better, right? So then it was like get in, let's like so we started just calling, you know, like getting into the nuts and bolts, like what are our software systems, like let's clean up some of our accounting, like what are all these things that we can't do when business is is flourishing, right? So we definitely tried to use that time best we could. We've done some kind of reorg on the back end, try to re, you know. Being a startup, and I think any startup can think of this. When you just you're just like scrappy. We're all in this. We're just scrappy. There's not really much organization, but we're all all in. You know. Yep. And we slowly started getting or- organized as a, you know how the even like an org chart type thing would work, but hadn't really got that done. So the last year we spent on the back of house, like I cleaned the garage and like, we cleaned up the back of <laughs> back of the org. So
1: you made good use of your time, you, yes. and you kind of had to. I mean, yeah. I think if you didn't, people that's when people lost their minds.
2: Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So.
1: We're getting into the to the to the end of this. We just wanted to, we don't actually promote anything. We try to not promote. Uh, I don't think in any context do we going to promote Tree Fort. <laughs> to be honest, I think it'd be better if Tree Fort promotes the really, really. You want to go down that road? I think help help a couple of brothers out. <laughs> you know, but um, what do you what are you most excited about this year? Um, I'm excited for it to happen. You
2: know, I'm just excited for you know. I think a- as challenging as still is, you know, it, I'm. I'm very passionate about, um, it is very important for live events and people to see each other and these things to happen. I think they can happen safe, safe safely. It's going to be more work, but it's possible. Yep. So I'm very much in the lane of things are possible, but also we need to do things that make it possible and not sure. just throw caution to the wind. So I'm p- passionate about that. I'm, I'm really excited for the team because, you know, we planned a festival all up and to two weeks before the festival. And we've essentially been planning the same festival for a year and a half since. It's gonna be two and a half years since the last tree for it when it happens wow. in, in September. For context, for those parents out there, are one of my co-founders, Drew Lorona, has had two kids since the last festival happened. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Which is oh kinda crazy. It's
1: like you've been planning the exact same festival for like three or four years. Yeah, and I'm, so, and there's, you know, there's talent that I'm
2: certainly, ex- excited about um but i'm mostly excited for that community gathering sure part of it i have to be honest and so um but i and i'm excited for all the programmers you know all the people that work on these things all the different forts and stuff you know they've been excited about what you know and it has changed there has been you know we've had to switch some some things out and stuff but
1: i've never been to so, tree fort i'm a new cool. uh well, relatively new to the to idaho and very new to boise so i am um, this is a nice little i am mean, now i'm more excited i like the idea of these little forts yeah that's- I want to create, always want to create my own stuff. That's why yeah. I build companies. Someday I want to have Matt's Fort. There we go, there we if, go, if Matt's If we can <laughs> lean into that a little bit and start planning that Matt, now. Matt well, Fort, and so one, Matt Fort. <laughs> one comment to
2: people that haven't done it, like 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 yourself, For for one, there's no expectation that anyone knows any of the bands on, on it. So if you don't know the bands, but if you know Lake Street Dive, you might be in enticed. In, in but really, it is a festival of discovery, Love but, that. but at, at the music le- level, but in other places. And there's a lot of free stuff to 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 do. It's a really easy to sort of, it's kind of like a, a big tasting event. And there are actually food tasting and ale, t- ale for it is a beer tasting e- event. But it's really easy to go do pieces of it. And you're like, oh, okay. And then if you want more, there's there's ways to do more of it. But there's also you can do little bits of it
1: that's awesome i'm so i'm really excited I'm, uh, I'm excited for this to to go off i i guess i've been passionately every time i drive by that sign even when i really didn't know what tree fort was i still wanted it to be down to like two or one day left so i could actually see <laughs> what the fucking thing was so i am excited to see that number tick down to, to zero so you have
0: seriously not been to tree fort no
1: you, you live in boise i came
0: from haley uh. okay so
1: I, I i share my wife is from the Red river oh, valley um nice. so an amazing little spiritual place there, uh, from, an, from an artist perspective. Yeah. So the band was based in
2: Haley for 2006 to 2009. Essentially. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. Play, you were playing at.
2: Uh, we, it was the whiskey. We, yeah, we played at Whiskey Jacks. Whiskey play Jacks. Uh, played at the Mint. Played at uh, the burrito shop the taco shop. That's KB. KB. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. The La, other one. La Carbonita. No, there's like the fish, they have like, anyways. Anyways, we're <laughs> yeah. losing our audience we at are, this Sorry, point. sorry about <laughs> that.
1: We, could, we can wax about Haley anytime. But again, anyways, sorry. thank you so much for coming on. I was really excited about doing this and, and uh, I, I can't wait to hear the reaction of people as we start to like bridge this two worlds that are actually the same world. Uh, there is very, very little difference in any of it. Agreed.
0: Yeah, when you're creating something new, when you're creating something that didn't exist before, like there's going to be, and upwind, going, you know, there's going to be a headwind going against you. You're going to run into challenges. And you always challenge me, Matt, I to do. like come up with like some little, just squeeze the tiniest bit of wisdom out of my little brain um, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of an Uh-oh. episode. Yeah, for once I'm prepared, once oh, in my okay. life. Great. Yeah. yeah, squeeze. Good luck. <laughs> there it is. But, you know, it's it, something, something that I've realized over time is that, Like when you're relentlessly stretching your comfort zone, whether you're like creating your own music and putting it out there and getting on stage and enthusiastically asking people to love it as much as you do, when you're creating a new company or a new product, or you're stepping into a new role that you haven't been able to fill before, you are stretching your comfort zone and you will experience anxiety, imposter syndrome, fear, on potentially a day-to-day basis the harder you're stretching your comfort zone the more of that you're going to experience and it's totally fucking natural and everybody who has done that before is also experienced that and i'm just trying to like take that to heart this year hundred percent and like just make make that expectation part of my dna in this i would there's no one i would
1: rather do this musical duet if you want to look at it, the really really win, with you dom uh, just uh, you bring a lot to this and uh, and you have amazing your life is so interesting that I just think we need to highlight more of it
0: if only we could talk about all of it on the air <laughs> yeah, not all
1: of it, we have the second podcast <laughs> thanks again Eric, appreciate it here we go